right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here alongside RT Sport Online's Anthony Pine. You can listen to this podcast on RT.ie, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or else you can watch it all on YouTube as well. Lots to talk about today, including the Republic of Ireland making a winning start to their UEFA Women's Nations League campaign on a historic day at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. Plenty to chat about in the League of Ireland too, like Galway United's early promotion to the Premier Division and some unexpected results in the top flight. And uh, to run through all of that, we're also joined today by journalist Jonathan Higgins, uh, who is also a very proud Galway man. So we'll have plenty to say, obviously, on uh, Galway United's promotion and obviously was on commentary for LOI TV as well on the day. But before we start that, uh, first up, of course, we're going to talk about the Republic of Ireland's 3-0 win over Northern Ireland in the UEFA Women's Nations League opener uh, with the goals from Lucy Quinn, Kira Carusa and Lily Ag. And uh, Anthony, you were at it for RT Sport. And what was the atmosphere like? The atmosphere was was excellent, Raph. Um, it was it was a great occasion. That almost thirty six thousand people there was the, the official attendance. Um, you know the demographic for these games is is a lot of kids and families. Uh, I think every player to mark the fiftieth anniversary of the women's team, the FAA gave, gave every player who'd ever represented the Ireland women's team two free tickets. Uh, so there was you know it was a real feeling of sort of celebration and occasion about it, and the place looked great. You know it was. It was a sea of green and you know the flags and everything and a, and a decent splattering of Northern Irish fans that travel down um, and you know Ireland got the win and really a, a win that they badly needed um, for obviously to start their UEFA Nations League campaign with a win was important I think Northern Ireland are probably about as strong as a team that they're going to face in this group I mean they really should they should probably win every game in this group and we, we might talk about Hungary who they have uh, on Tuesday night in, in a little bit but you know, to start with a win was important, obviously. But I just think with the week that they've had, and actually the last few months that they've had, to have a game where they get the win, which I don't think Ireland were brilliant, but they, it was pretty convincing. You know, once they got the first goal, you never really seen Northern Ireland coming back into it. But, you know, they got the job done. I think it's just more important that they they have a moment of undiluted sort of uh, glee. You know, everything that they've done, even going back to the playoff in Scotland at Hampton Park, you know, they get that win to make the World Cup. And it, and it was sort of soured in quite a significant way by the celebrations in the dressing rooms afterwards, the singing of the song afterwards, and all that fallout that, that lasted for, you know, a few weeks. Um, and then, you know, some of the allegations that were made against Vera Pau in the NWSL report that, that, that lingered and hung over uh everything really like a cloud and then the fact that her contract she was in limbo and in purgatory going into the world cup and then finally you know they get their first point at a world cup against nigeria and that's overshadowed by the spat that vera Pell had with, with katie mccabe and, and you know everything that happened after that so i think it was just important to to draw a line in the sand it's, it's a it's a new start for them Eileen Gleeson uh, has taken the reins on, on an interim basis. I think she's ideal, steeped in the game, steeped in women's Irish women's football for a long, long time. She's a, a steady hand, very well respected and liked by the players. Um, and you know, hopefully they can they can kick on now, and the FEI will have you know what they have got with Eileen in charge is they bought themselves time uh, to really get the best possible successor to Vera Powell as, as, as they can. And Vera Powell, let's, you know, let's acknowledge the, the work that she did and the great job that she did in getting Ireland to a World Cup for the first time. But there is, you know, uh, and the players have been open about this, they all want to progress further. 
Um, so the job now is to get the best possible candidate that, that they can get. And, uh, you know, there's not really much excuse for the FBI because they potentially have until December to, to do that. You know, they've given Eileen, they, they've said, Mark Cannon, the director of football, said that she she may well stay in place for the whole uh, way for Nations League campaign, which runs up until December. The last game is, is Northern Ireland uh, away up in, in Belfast. So, Look, it was a good day. Uh, they got the win, three goals, clean sheet, and you know they'll hope to just follow that up uh, in Budapest against Hungary tomorrow evening. Um, which which won't be, you know, it's not going to be a walk in the park. But at the same time, they they will be expected to go over there and, and do the business again. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Eileen Gleeson, the interim manager, she was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the match, but also he was also chatting to Tyler Toland, who has been out of the picture in terms of uh, the the Ireland senior team for almost four years, but put in a player of the match performance. So let's hear from both of them. Well done indeed. It's been four years since you last played. Uh, a long time, an eternity, some people might say. How did it feel today? Look, I'm delighted to be back. Obviously, we've picked up the three points today. We had a great team performance and that's a performance to build on for Tuesday against Hungary. Yeah, you brought a lot of balance to the midfield. I suppose it enabled uh, players like Denise to get that bit further forward. Yeah, look, we have a lot of talent here in Ireland and my job is just to help the team. And yeah, that's what I did today. And at the end of the day, we came out victory, three points and we moved forward. What about the occasion, the lap of honour? I mean, it was very, very special. A record crowd, 35,944. It's a very proud day to be Irish, I must say. It's absolutely incredible. So many people coming out to support us. Um, and hopefully it continues this way. We keep putting on performances, keep winning, and the people of Ireland keep coming to watch us. Any regrets from your point of view that you weren't involved in the World Cup and all that went before? All I can say is I'm absolutely delighted to be back and nothing makes me more proud to play for my country. Well done. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you and your team, Eileen. And that lap of honour was something else. Amazing. I mean, I don't think I can actually describe it looking up into the stands and up into the, the rafters and just totally full, green flags and just amazing, amazing support. And come on, Eileen, blasting out of the uh, PA system. Is that going to be a new song for Ireland? Oh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was a bit of fun anyway, so we enjoyed it. Yeah. But look, what a day. Super proud of the girls, solid performance, three goals, clean sheet, oh, really good day all around. I think your decision to start Caitlin Hayes certainly um, proved the wise one. I mean, she had a super game. She really did. I mean, she was solid. She was good going forward, confident to drive in, good in the ball, gave us lots of out balls for the forwards. So, yeah, I mean, we're super happy to have her. And the other big call, you might say, uh, Tyler Tolan, she's just been here a moment ago receiving the Player of the Match award. Yeah, well, I mean, Tyler's come back in. She's taken her opportunity. She's been great in training all weekend, as you've seen. Solid, good movement, aggressive, Player of the Match, well done. In terms of the, the style of play, Tyler probably did help you get Denise further up the pitch and Kira Caruso was no longer the, the lone front runner. Yeah, and that's what we wanted to get a second forward up there and give us a little bit more outlets, get Denise a little bit higher up in this one and then, yeah, keep a, a nice two, two pivots then to give us a bit of security in front of the back three. And I think the girls, you know, played into the, they knew their roles and they were solid, I thought, and still lots to build on. But a really, you know, positive performance. I think set piece is still important. And Katie probably has three assists today. I think it was her clearance to, to, to Kyra and Kira to the rest. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we always know we've been strong in set pieces before. And we've had Louise. Now we've added a few and a bit of variation around that. So 
Yeah, that's. I mean, they're always super important and great opportunities. And yeah, Katie, three assists, Lucy, great goal, and yeah. Great day. Thank you very much. Thanks for all your support. Thank you. All right, so that is Eileen Gleeson there. And before that, Tyler Toland and Anthony, it's fair to say Toland, A, her involvement, return to the squad, and also her performance, which was uh, rewarded the player of the match. Um, it was kind of symbolic of uh, a fresh start. Well, it was because, I mean, the last game that Tyler Toland had played for Ireland was was almost exactly four years ago against Montenegro. Um, they, they, she scored that night and was actually awarded player of the match that evening uh, in Tallinn, won 2 0. And that was the last game before Vera Pell came in and, and took over on a permanent basis from Colin Bell. So at that time, like, I, I mean, you kind of liken to her career at that time was in a similar position to, say, Abby Larkin. It, it, now, similar age, she just made a move uh, across the water to Manchester City from Sion Swifts. And she was, without a doubt, considered Ireland's one of Ireland's real bright hopes. You know, excellent midfielder technically and uh, tigerish in the tackle and just really mature, real talent. And it just it just went wrong for her on the international stage. She, she never played for Vera Pau. She didn't kick a ball for Vera Pau. They had, uh, you know, a public falling out um, where, the, you know, there was claims and counterclaims made. But, but the upshot was that Tyler just... She did not get a look in in that whole period. Uh, and at club level, she had a bit of a nomadic existence where she moved around. She, she was at Man City. She went up to, to Celtic. Um, I think she, she had a loan spell at Glasgow. She went to Levante in Spain. And now she's back at Blackburn Rovers. And it's only now that she's really getting a, a consistent run of minutes. It was real stop-start for her. She never really got momentum. Um, and this is a massive boost for her. Like, Eileen Gleeson has given her a serious... Uh, injection of confidence by putting her straight not just back in the squad but straight back into that starting 11 I thought she was very good she, she's a really uh, confident type of character like she was you know there was no um, sense that she was overawed she was barking orders she was directing the players around her uh, and she did give Ireland control like, and especially in the first 25 minutes Ireland did look a little bit um, probably a little nervous which is understandable it, you know there was a lot of stray passes and the, and the play was a little it was too slow it was very pedestrian uh, but she was really good right from the start throughout and she deserved the player in the match and it was, it was a great moment for her and you know um, I think if she can get some consistency at club level and settle at Blackburn who are playing in the championship um, she will get a lot more caps under her belt uh, for Ireland and could develop into a, an important player for, for Ireland because she's still only 22 um, and and she does bring balance to the middle of the park. You know, she is a type of, sort of like Josh Cullen for the men's team. She will just sit, win ball, keep ball. Nothing spectacular, uh, but it's really important to have players like that. And um, look, it was, it was, as you say, it was symbolic just in the sense that obviously she wasn't, fancied under Vera Pau. She just she wasn't part of that, that squad at all, ever. And, you know, first game post Vera Pau, she's straight back in the team. Um, but look, as I said, we'll, we'll see how how Tyler progresses in the next couple of years. Uh, and there'll be there'll be tougher tests to come as well in terms of the, the calibre the opposition that Arnold faced. But it was a great return for her and it was a great day for her. And she did play very, very well. 
Yeah, and Jonathan, looking at the some of the bits around the style of play, and uh, I guess one of the talking points from the World Cup was how to free up Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe. From your viewing of the match, did you did you feel that there was a bit of a departure from the way Pau had th- things set up previously? Oh, hugely. I thought it was, I think, firstly, just to repeat on what Andy said, I thought it was a pivotal day in, in Irish women's football, in just in terms of everything that happened. It was it was funny, ironic, nearly the, the iconic first appearance in the Viva Stadium was nearly irrelevant, for want of a better word. It was all about a reaction to the players that got, um, by many, I suppose, facets of society, they got absolutely lambasted for their role or perceived role in the removal of Vera Powell. And it was a huge day for for the squad as a whole. And I think you saw that at the end, really, in terms of the unity together in the huddle. And um, you saw Katie McCabe really barking instructions and and, and hello down. I thought it was a huge, powerful moment. You nearly get goosebumps watching it. It felt like a huge, huge moment of this is us, we're Ireland, we're stepping forward. In terms of the style of play, yeah, it was it was so obvious. I think Tony nailed it in the interview. There was those big gaps between midfield and up top were disappeared. Like for me, Without going overboard, I think Denise O'Sullivan is one of our best ever, most skillful midfielders, male or female. I think she's an outrageously talented footballer. And I think we haven't seen the best of her. She's definitely restricted with the handbreakers on a bit when she's playing more of a six role, which by and large she has. And it's the same. You can probably make the same argument with, with Katie McCabe as well. But just having Tyler in the middle of the pitch there, I think it's just that little... I think Claude Ranieri used to best describe it when you talk about McAuley he said he's the, the battery in my watch he just makes everything tick in the middle of the field uh, and that's the role that she brought and just added a bit of structure uh, a bit of a safety net and allowed us to be 10-15 yards more forward and I think it was noticeable that like I think there is look obviously there is you won't say it was a tactical performance uh, I thought Hayes in particular gave us another option in terms of those high diagonal balls primarily from the right across the left splitting defences I think there was a couple of pieces from the tactical nerd point of view to get really excited about but I, I think it was I, I was so so proud of, of Tyler Tolan you can imagine everything her and her family went through in recent years both watching on and then the public fallout but to be back and not only to put in such a, a polished performance on the pitch but the interview I thought was class it would have been very easy there to to, and understandably to let slip but it was you know like her like her performance on the pitch it was no no this is it it's all about next forward it, it cut it down it was kind of almost blunt in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way and I mean that as a compliment and I think that's hugely exciting Anthony's touch on it there as well consistently going forward is the key it's it's the one day out it's the sugar rush potentially it's to keep going but I, I think I think it was a pivotal day in Irish women's football and I think the squad answered a lot of questions and they stood tall and I think we're all insanely proud of them. Yeah, and one thing that kind of stayed the same, Anthony, was the you know the importance of set pieces and obviously first goal, it sort of stems from that with the ball falling back to Lucy Quinn at the edge of the box and then of course Lily Ag as well with the, the header that made a 3-0. Yeah, there was a couple of things in this. I mean, first of all, you know, I agree with Jonathan in terms of the little tweaks that were made. It did help that there was more support for the for the forward player Caruso. Obviously, Lucy Quinn was was up there. Um, I, I do. We we should acknowledge the the quality of the teams that Ireland have played in the last year. I mean, under Vera Powell, it was a clear tactic to play the best possible teams that they could get: the USA twice, China, France. These were the teams they were playing in the run up to prepare them for the World Cup. They're all in the top 15 in the world. Uh, so, you know, Northern Ireland are, are not at that level. And I think Ireland, had they been playing a better team on Saturday, they would have been punished in certain moments, it, particularly, as as mentioned, in that first 20, 25 minutes, that the, the passing was way too slow and it was quite loose. 
Um, so there's still a way to go in terms of becoming a more expansive team and, and, and owning the ball a little better and being able to play through teams. But at the same time, you know, you should always play to your strengths. And if, and you've, if you've got certain things up your sleeve, then why not uh, try and make the most of them? And one of this Ireland team, like they are really good at set pieces. Our, our only goal at the World Cup came directly from a corner. Uh, two of the three goals on Saturday came from corner kicks. And that brings me to the second point, which is the the introduction and arrival of Caitlin Hayes, because um, you had Caldwell, Diane Caldwell and Louise Quinn, who are, you know, the twin towers. They've always been excellent and, and are, you know, a great threat off set pieces. But she is, she caused absolute chaos, uh, Caitlin Hayes. She is brilliant in the air, brilliant. And it's another problem for the opposition to deal with in those situations. Now, instead of having only one or two and you double up on, say, a Louise Quinn, now you've got three. You know, it's not just about height. She's a, she's a very good hitter. She, should, she could have scored two goals. Uh, I probably should have scored at least one. So it is a great weapon. It shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't shy away from making the most of it, especially when you've got, you know, someone like Kate K put the ball on, on a sixpence uh, off of corner kicks and free kicks. So um, it's still, it's, and it's, look, it's not, it's not necessarily a really bad thing, but I, I, I think it's still probably where we're most potent or, or look most dangerous. So there's, there's a bit of a way to go before you know for, for Ireland to develop a style where they can really damage teams with playing through and, and even the tour goal was a mistake wasn't it you know Kerry Caruso's tour goal was a mix-up at the back so um I know Ireland had other chances throughout the game but it, it's still you, you think in a lot of these tight games that the breakthrough is most likely going to come off set piece for Ireland um, and that's going to be the challenge for for you know Eileen Gleeson in the, in the immediate future and then for whoever comes in long term to 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 maybe just make Ireland a little bit more creative in the top third and, and find a way to, to free up, as Jonathan says, free up a Denise O'Sullivan, offer support to Caruso, whoever that may be, whether it's Lucy Quinn longer term or, or say someone like uh, Emily Whelan or, or Leanne Kiernan, who, who's still injured. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, that was uh, more things change. More they say the same as, as they say, like uh, set pieces still uh, crucially important for that team. Yeah, and of course, uh, as as you mentioned, Hayes there, she had a very last minute introduction in terms of confirmation that she was uh, that she was she can play for Ireland, and then of course, uh, um, getting onto the pitch, I think it was something like was it twenty four hours something like that. Yeah, she 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 got uh, confirmation that she was eligible to play on Friday, which was actually her birthday, her twenty eighth birthday. So, um, something that she'd been waiting a long time. She had declared interest, you know, for a while. This has been coming. But uh, they got it over the line and she went straight into the team and did, and did very, very well. She was good. Yeah, and you mentioned Diane Caldwell there, obviously a uh, long-time defender in the team, was part of the World Cup squad, got a very small or short cameo um, at the end of the Nigeria game. But um, obviously she was in the news last week and I suppose the timing for us uh, when we were recording the podcast, I think the press conferences, uh, the first set of them, uh, it was like a couple hours after we finished recording. So we never got a, re- a chance to react to this. But uh, obviously this is uh, Diane Caldwell talking about the Vera Pau tenure. And this is a very small part of it. You can watch uh, a longer segment on our YouTube channel or also on rte.ie. But first, uh, let's listen to her. What was happening under Vera? Um... I think a group of players that were destined for success came together at the right time. Well, you'd have to ask her that, but from my position as a pretty experienced player, 
I don't think it was up to the standard of ex expected at an international level. And I think the results and performances that we got were in spite of Vera being our coach. So quite uh, hard-hitting comments there, I think, which would be an understatement there, Anthony. And I mean, that would have immediately put a lot of focus on Diane. Obviously, she didn't got named to, to start against Northern Ireland, put in a good performance. Um, but, you know, in terms of the reverberations throughout the week, obviously it had a it had a huge effect. Now, other players didn't really go there. I mean, you were at the uh, at the subsequent press conferences afterwards with some of the other players, but it, it certainly set a tone. Well, look, it was it was probably coming. I, I think uh, Diane Caldwell has earned the right to have an opinion on the direction of the team. As that's my opinion, um, she stood with, and not just her, Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan and, and others who were there in twenty seventeen and had to threaten strike action because the conditions were so paltry for for the international women's team. They didn't even have their own tracksuits, so I think they they have earned a bit of trust in terms of if they're saying, well, look, we, we think things can actually be a little bit better. The one thing I, I, I think to say that Ireland achieved what they did in spite of Vera Pell, I thought that was unfair. And, and I think that is one thing you could take exception with because having watched Ireland at the World Cup, I mean, you know, if you, if you think back to 2010 when the French men's team got to the World Cup in 2010 and they were in disarray off the, off the field, you know, they bet they squeezed past Ireland in the playoff. Um, and that manifested itself on the pitch. And we've seen that with some of the Dutch teams as well going to major tournaments. When there's issues off the pitch, it often, very often, uh, and usually manifests on itself on the pitch. Now, that didn't happen with Ireland. They did not look like a team in total disarray in the three games they played. And they were three tough games. They were in a really hard group. They looked well-drilled, organised, and everybody knew their jobs. And there's just no way you can remove that from the coaching team and the management. You, know, you have to give credit it's a Vera Pell for that. Whether you agree with her methods or not, you know, I, I, I don't think you can say that they went out and played in spite of her. They were very clearly well drilled and, and everybody knew their jobs. And you know, it took them took them all the way through the a, a tough qualification group and a tough playoff. Uh, and even in the wake of the playoff win against Scotland, I mean the players like Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan to name but two were were kind of talking about how much they love to defend and they embrace that style and, and that set up. So um well, clearly there was an unhappiness and a deep unhappiness because uh, Diane Caldwell mentioned that uh, herself and Katie McCabe had gone to root doctor two and a half years ago and, uh, with concerns about uh, the approach. Um, look, the other side of it is, is that Vera Powell is extremely popular and she made a genuine connection with the Irish public. I think Vera Powell was very good um, with the media, very good in front of the cameras. Um, she, she has charisma and... Um, you know, she comes across as someone with total conviction in in her which she has uh, in her ways and her methods, and just looks like a leader. And and um, I can understand the affection that that people would have had for her, and and that sense that she's been unfairly treated. But as I said, I, I just think the players deserve uh, a little trust and respect here. You know, we're not talking about millionaire professionals <laughs> they were suddenly uh, i think there's been suggestions in some quarters that like the egos have got the better i really don't see that like you know diane caldwell is 33 now she's now got 98 caps she's been around for a long long time and for the majority of her career for 98 percent of her career uh the the sort of there was an apathy uh towards the women's game now that's changed in the last two or three years and they've all been part of that. Plus Vera Pell. 
Well, as I said, I, I think like this sense of like people sort of some some of the, the scorn poured towards herself and Kane Cave as well has been a lightning rod for her because she obviously had a follow. Uh it's it's been over the top. And look, what I will say also, you know, the lesson number one million that social media is not real life. <laughs> it's uh was, no, was it, it's, it's certainly if you're trying to get a gauge of what it, real public opinion is generally, it's not that representative. Absolutely not. I mean, in the stadium, all those players' names were cheered to the rafters. Diane Caldwell got a great reception when she came off as well. So, you know, the people who were turning up to the games, um, there was no sense that there was any kind of ill will or bitterness there. You know, it, it, look, it, as I, I think with the with the success they had and the, the profile of the game has gone through the roof in the last sort of three years in particular, that just means that you're getting a whole new set of eyeballs on the game. And probably, you know, although that's great and that's really positive and it's good and, and it, we, it translates to more people coming to the games and investing and engaging in games, uh, of course, there's a there's negativity with it too because, you know, suddenly you're getting opinions from all quarters and uh, particularly online where, where, you know, people will just uh, throw their tuppence worth in um, and whether that's particularly informed opinion or not, it's part of it. But, um Look, they're they're a tough bunch, and uh, I think you know getting that win under the belt, and then hopefully another win uh, on on Tuesday night against against Hungary, as I said, will draw a real fin in the blind in the sand, and we can all move into the next era. See what that brings. Yeah, and Jonathan, just what Anthony was saying there about, I suppose the you know the the growth and profile of the women's game here. As someone who you know covers the women's Premier Division uh, very regularly, have you kind of felt that? Um, and even in the sort of post World Cup, I know there's been a lot of talk about other matters, but in terms of the the sense of spotlight that that World Cup has given, and it's something that some of the managers I spoke to at the League of Ireland launch at the start of the season wanted to see was um, that it would have a knock-on effect. But have you seen that sort of afterglow um, in in, rec- in the last couple of months or so? Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, I think, it, it. I suppose, the World Cup has given it the sugar rush and, and it's continued on. But the fact as well is that there's been you know, so many players from the World Cup squad were up until recently enough, many of them were, were still playing in the League of Ireland here. So there's that connection really between supporters and, you know, your icons and your your heroes are in pretty much, you know, close-knit reach almost. I think that adds to, to it a good bit and it gets certainly given a bit of a high profile to the league. I think the league as a whole probably still needs... Uh, still needs a kick in the right direction. I think we're slowly going. I think there was baby steps maybe this year in terms of the contract situation with players. Uh, I think Rovers coming into the league kind of added to that or you know accelerated that progress from the outside looking in. And it can only be better if if you know the facilities are going to be better. Like just I know from our own point of view here, we'll go United being under the the two teams under the same umbrella now as well, and the success of Piltril and his side with the All Ireland League success. And you know there's a lot of young talent coming through. There would have been. In under seventeen, under nineteen teams are now playing, you know, you know, first team football, uh, which is a big boost as well. Uh, and the profile of the league, I think, although I think I heard someone the other day saying the age profile is coming down, but probably the quality is probably going up in a, in abundance, really, in terms of of what we have. And uh, you know, that's great to see. And we've been lucky enough as well. You know, there's been great exposure to the league in recent years, and we've had a couple of dramatic title last day outs. The the one from. That, that one in Piedmont and Shells, uh, I think, strikes to the memory straight away. It doesn't it from two years ago, but yeah, no, the, it's it's growth, but it probably does need an extra. It's like anything. I think that it's it's when you're coming from a distance of so far behind, 
Um, you're all as conscious of, of not patting yourself on the back and pushing on, but you can definitely see a good bit more interest. I think um, our, the players are a lot more recognisable now in terms of the exposure, in terms of you know being people identifying me, even as general sports fans, I think, which sometimes isn't the, bre- the best barometer. But I think if you're having those kind of conversations in your day-to-day conversation, there's usually a sign of you know things are going in the right direction where, unfortunately, even in recent years, that mightn't have been the case. So, yeah. One kind of slowly going in the in the right direction, but and it, but I suppose I would put a little caveat. I think it is still has a, has a bit to go, unfortunately. Yeah, and obviously for Ireland next up, it's Hungary in their second Women's Nations League game. That's live on Tuesday at six pm uh, on RT two and the RT player and Hungary. Anthony are you know closest the closest ranked Ireland if you look at the FIFA rankings. So they're forty two. Ireland are 24, Northern Ireland, who, of course, were beaten on uh, on Saturday, are 47, and then Albania, 72. And from speaking to the former Ireland manager, Sue Ronan, a few weeks ago on this podcast, um, she was making the point that maybe in terms of judging Ireland's progression post-POW, it might be until the Euro qualifying campaign, which... If, um, as you said, there's a good chance that Ireland win, um, you know, all their games, they'll, they'll be playing in League A, which will bring the type of calibre of opposition that, you know, they they matched up well against in, in the World Cup. And then um, in the qualifying campaign, the likes of your Finlands and uh, the likes of Sweden as well. But in terms of judging Ireland, I guess it's uh, more of a hit pause for the moment, I guess. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, look, they still have to go and win the games. Like, it is an opportunity for Ireland to to, to sort of um, to, to get a string of wins together and get promoted to, to League A, the Nations League. I mean, just for context, Hungary finished behind Spain, Scotland and Ukraine and they're in their World, World Cup qualifying group. Um, but they bet Ukraine 4-2 in, in Budapest in, in that campaign. And, uh, of course, Ireland... Uh, slipped up against Ukraine in the previous campaign, the Euros uh, campaign, they lost 1-0 over there. If you remember on your Gorman's own goal um, effectively ended uh, Ireland's hopes of making it to the Euros. Um, they have beaten, you know, Israel twice this year, Greece, Bosnia, but all those teams are ranked outside the top 60 in the world. Finland, who, you know, that would be, Finland would be Similar level to Ireland, we we edged them out in World Cup qualifying. But Finland bet them eight 0 last February, so um, you know should, Ireland should be going there and winning, really. But at the same time, like you know, you got to go on the road, you got to take care of the business, and and, um, and 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 the same applies to Albania, and then obviously going up to Northern Ireland in 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 Belfast. But um, I think this is this is the 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 thing with Ireland in the last two years, like this is really. The fact that we're even talking in these terms and saying that they should be doing this and, and yeah, we won't really be judged until the, the qualifiers when we go to League A. I mean, that in itself is a good barometer of how far they've progressed. Like, I would say that even two, three years ago, certainly, like, you, you'd be kind of, you wouldn't be taking stuff for granted with this group. I think you'd be going, oh, you know, maybe this could be tricky. And But, but now we're sort of at that point where it's like, well, yeah, we really should just be mopping this group up. And then we've got bigger fish to fry in, in um in the spring but look it is an opportunity and it's a good time i think uh it's probably wise for the fei to use this period to to get the right candidate in because you know as i said they have someone like eileen gleason a steady hand to, to look after things and um there's enough there that they should keep churning out wins 
and, and keep the show on the road, keep things moving in the right direction. And then whoever comes in next just should hopefully have a, a perfect springboard um, to try and kick it on again, you know, to go into that League A. If, if Ireland win their group here, and you had a piece on this, Raph, last week, which is laid out, I think, as clearly as anybody possibly could, because it's quite, it's a convoluted process, the qualification. This, this Nations League feeds directly into the Euros qualifying, doesn't it? So whoever comes in could be coming in into a situation where Ireland, if they win their Nations League group, um, I think as a minimum, they're, they're guaranteed... A playoff spot yeah 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 if they finish third or fourth in their league a group they yeah. um they go straight to a playoff which would be okay. the initial stage against teams in league c so on the very bottom end and then afterwards then um obviously the second round of playoffs would be a bit tougher than that but yeah. it's a it's a good pathway obviously um obviously the games in league a itself and in that group would be would be quite difficult in fairness but they have it as as a min, worst case scenario. They're, they're going to have a, a playoff semi final against a lower seeded team. So, um, you know that that's that's a great opportunity for for them, and and as I said, a, potentially a great platform for a new person uh, to to come in and and going on the road and any any international game. Like if you look at uh, Hungary's results, there's occasional uh, fixtures where you know they only they only got bet three 0 by Spain as well as part of that com- uh, qualification campaign. So you know there, there's times where they look capable of being uh, stubborn and difficult to beat, but you know they opened their qual- they opened their nations league last Friday against Albania and they only drew one all. Um, and Albania are, are you know the lowest ranked team in this in this group, so uh, it's a game that Ireland should be that they should be going over to win. They'll expect to win, and uh, I, I think they will, and you know kick on then into to the next window uh, in really good shape. Yeah, we'll see how they get on against Hungary. Obviously, as I said, RT2 and RT player on Tuesday evening. Now, the draws were made last week for the FAI Cup semi-finals in both the women's and the men's. In the women's, Sligo Rovers are going to be playing at Lone Town and Shamrock Rovers against Shelburne. Those ties to be played on 14th October. And then in the men's, and this is to be played on the weekend of 7th to 8th October, Cork City hosting St. Pat's and then Galway United hosting Bohemians. And uh, here in the Premier Division, uh, we'll have Shamrock Rovers against Shelburne live on RT2 and the RT player this Friday night from 7.35 coverage and uh, 7.45pm kickoff. And then the results, and there are matches tonight as well, but uh, the results from last Friday, Drada and Bowes drew 0-0, Shelburne beat Cork City 2-1, big win for Sligo Rovers, edging out Derry City 1-0, which was also coincidentally a, a blow for the Candy Stripes in terms of their own league title hopes. St. Pat's uh, beat Dundalk 3-1, Tommy Lonergan scoring a couple of really good goals in that game. And then one of the surprise results, Shamrock Rovers couldn't take advantage of Derry City's slip up um, in Sligo as they drew nil all at UCD. Now, um, you know, I mean, looking at this, Jonathan, I mean, I think missed opportunity is probably the right word actually for for a couple of clubs there with Shamrock Rovers, obviously, but also uh, Derry City. And now with St. Pat's winning as well, um, for the neutral, it's obviously very, very good for, for a lot of for those first two clubs I mentioned. It was a, a bit of a weekend to forget. Oh God, can you imagine the reaction of Rory Higgins and his squad going back in? Uh, not only like furious with their own results, and then when they go and see the UCD results, you'd be just, I can only imagine the frustration. It, it, that's the sort of kind of, I don't want to say freak uh, result. It kind of normal is when top versus bottom UCD in turmoil, Andy Myler leaving, you think that that's it done for the rest of the season, just going to see things out. But, um, 
for Shamrock Rovers not to get the advantage there, you'd have thought that would have been a comfortable victory. And then, yeah, oh God, double whammy. It's just been cruel. Uh, Derry have been have been unfortunate. They've been so good for large periods of the season. They play a beautiful style of football. Um, but that week where they were knocked out of Europe and the Cup and penalty shootouts, and you know, obviously the the draw last week or the week gone by felt like a, a defeat, just the manner of it, and then the debate over the penalty instant at the end. And I think you saw then the the celebrations. I think Shamrock Rovers kind of knew that was the moment. I think it's kind of still is. I know we're all clutching at straws here and hoping for a bit of a Pat's late burst up, but I, I think it's just going to be too tight, unfortunately, from the neutral point of view. But a, a huge result as well for, for Sligo from from their own vantage point. Um because the last thing uh, Russell needs there is to be dragged even lower against what is a relatively... How, I don't even sure what way you describe Cork at, at the moment. You look at their win rate since the change of manager, manager since that's come on and you think you know, things haven't been great. But then you look at you look at Rory Keating in the form that he is in, arguably one of the standout strikers in the league at, at the moment. And then you look at the cup run and they'll fancy themselves... A, getting back with a home semi-final, getting into the Viva. It's a weird dynamic, isn't it? But that does a huge result for Sligo. They, I think it stops the free fall a little bit. You'd probably say another result or so, and that's probably it in terms of seeing things out. But yeah, no, it's always a, a, a match week of, of intense drama and uh, that doesn't change. But I think we are I think we are looking at already known where, where the title is going. I think we've probably known for a little while, if the truth be told. Yeah, there is still five points there. But also you mentioned John Russell, obviously the, the Sligo Rovers manager, and he's kind of acknowledged the pressure he's been feeling. And he was uh, he was speaking to Eric White after the game. So let's listen to him. There's been a lot of soul searching. Uh, it's been a tough season uh, for me personally. Um, you know, I work extremely hard. And normally when you when you put in the, the work and the effort that, that I do and the staff um, in any other professional industry, you get rewarded. Um, but in football, you know, things can go against you like that penalty decisions or handballs or slip from a player. And we've lost too many games this year. We, we've had sob stories in terms of 10 players out at one stage and no centre back. So look, we've had to deal with a lot of blows. Um, but I'm thankful that we were able to reset after Cork. We were all hurting. It was a tough moment coming back on that bus um, a couple of weeks ago. But we we trained really well. We I brought the players away for for two days. We did, we had a training camp. Um, you know we, we reset. We knew what we needed to do f- for the last seven games, and um, we've had a good start. Two wins. Um, we five more games to go. And I know it wouldn't have been your objective at the start of the season, but is that you safe now? Do you think? Um, I'm not thinking about that at the moment. Um, I'm just really pleased that we've gone back to back wins and two clean sheets because we've conceded too many goals this year. And if you if you're keeping clean sheets, you're giving yourself a chance to win matches. Um, so we'll be looking to do that against Bowes next week. Okay, well done tonight. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, and then Anthony, I suppose on the flip side as well, just in regards to UCD as well. I mean, um, looking at the looking at the highlights from that game, you know, obviously it was quite one sided in terms of where the flow of the game was going, in terms of the chances that Shamrock Rovers were creating. But UCD have always had a propensity to make things awkward, even this season, which has been a, a, quite a difficult one in terms of uh, in terms of results. But we look at them last season; I think they've been written off, and then they managed to. Uh, get to the relegation playoff spot at uh, Finn Harps' uh, expense but uh, yeah they've uh, you know it was a it was kind of it's one of those type of performances that you're going to see I suppose towards the end of the season as things get a bit tense whether it's for the top teams or the the ones that are kind of uh, you know fighting it out at the bottom Yeah I, I think to be honest it kind of sums up the season in terms of 
I mean, you're correct. I mean, Shamrock Rovers, 99 times over 100, that they win that game and they win a comfortably. And fair play to UCD. Um, they showed spirit and, and fight and everything, you know, what you'd expect of Andy Myler's team. Um, he, he, I think he's had, you know, he's stepping away, isn't he? And, and, and referenced the, the huge commitment that it takes. Uh, that's just taking its toll on him. And um, he'll go with a lot of goodwill because he, he has done a good job there. But I think it's it's just the gulf has caught up on them. Um, but really, it's Shamrock Rovers are just, they haven't had to be uh, absolutely superb this season to be a little bit better than everybody else. And, and that's really the thing that it's going to boil down to. They're just a little bit better than everybody else. They've so much experience. They've so much winning experience. And you look at that game where you go, wow, they, you know, nil-nil draw with, with UCD. Not many would have had that in their, in their accumulators. But, uh, you know, Derry couldn't make the most. So now you're, you're probably looking at St. Pat's or, or realistically the only team that can can pick them. Um, I don't think Pat's have been playing particularly well, but they, they've churned out wins and they have Shamrock Rovers in the second last game of the season. So hopefully it comes to that. Hopefully we get to that game. There's sometimes, just from a neutral point of view, um, but Derry will be absolutely kicking themselves. No, it's funny. I, I watched uh, Sligo Rovers play Derry early in the season and thought Sligo were really, really good. I was up in uh, the Ryan McBride, Branywell that night. They were excellent. They drew one all. And you come away from that game thinking, you know, Sligo, are, they're, they're going to be in the top four. And uh, Fabrice Hartman is going to be in the mix for player of the year. You know, they, they were really impressive. And it just hasn't happened. They, they've sort of sunk. They plateaued and then just sunk. And they were in a real funk. But, um, you know, it's John, John to lose that they won their last two games in CCD and against Derry and should now be probably okay. But um, that, that's a real stinger for Derry. That that will hurt them. That will hurt them. And, and there's just been a few occasions, you know, Shamrock Rovers are still Shamrock Rovers. You know, they're, they're, they're steeped in title winning. The, the whole club has just got that winning experience to know how to get over the line. But they have they have given the chase and pack opportunities and the last couple of weeks, you know, Derry will feel they should have bet them up there at their place. Should have bet them. They didn't. You know, Rovers got the late penalty from Greenbrook. And then, you know, Shamrock Rovers slip up again and, and they, they don't capitalise fully on it. And uh, as I said, that, that kind of sums up the season. I, I just think like Shamrock Rovers, without having been absolutely brilliant throughout the campaign, and, and you know, we, I think we've seen better tight winning teams in the last few years under Stephen Bradley. I think he's, he's, I think there's been years they've been more impressive. But um I just think they're just a little bit better than everyone else. You know, it's just whatever it is, that that cutting edge, that that mentality to just dig it out and do enough. Um I, I expect them to get over the line in, in the next few games. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Andy Myler leaving UCD at the end of the season and his current assistant, Willie O'Connor, is going to take over for 2024. But he was speaking to Peter Brannigan um, at the weekend and kind of touched on um, the reasoning for his decision. Andy, um, I suppose big news emerging last week uh, in terms of your role with UCD. So just tell me a little bit how the decision came about, why you made it. Um, actually made the decision a long time ago. I made the decision uh, quite early on in the season, uh, April, May, just that... Um, uh, the, my what would you say my full time career just too busy at the moment to try and combine it with anything else um, and uh, I have to I suppose that's what pays the mortgage so um, I have to uh, weigh up everything that's on and, and, and to be honest I, I would never ever want to give uh, football anything less than 100% um, and at the moment I'm just too stretched across all fronts so um, I have to let the day job win um, for a while 
Yeah, and in terms of, I suppose, the enjoyment, like we've spoken at various points throughout this season about the difficulty that you used to have. You're not the first manager to experience. You won't, it seems like you won't be the last. But how demoralising is that? Because I know last season when I spoke to you, at the end of the year, you were absolutely over the moon with keeping the team up. So how frustrating is it not to be able to give it a real proper go like you'd want to? Yeah, it's, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word demoralising at all, Peter, to be honest. Um, I listen, I love football. Um, and I've loved, like in lots of ways, I've loved this season as much as every other season. Um, you know, we had some fantastic times the last two years, you know, going up, staying up last year, fantastic uh, days, nights, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm in football long enough to know as well that the, the circle turns and, you know, sometimes it's your turn uh, for disappointment. So, But I've, I've never anything else than loved Friday nights, uh, loved playing, loved coaching, uh, managing, all that kind of stuff. And I look forward to the bit, I'll, I'll miss it really, really badly um, over the next while as well. So um, it's something, like I said, it's something that I love. So. Um, no, not not the, not the moral lies. Uh, it's disappointing, you know. You take that disappointment, but um, something. If you're in football long enough, you should get used to disappointment because there's more of that than uh, you know the champagne corks co- uh, popping. So uh, no, no, nothing, no, uh, no emotions like that. Uh, just disappointed that we probably left some stuff behind us this season for sure. When we look at the performance tonight. That's a little bit disappointing, but there's lots of reasons for that that sound like excuses, so we won't use them. All right, so that's uh, Andy Myler there. And uh, obviously last season, he could call upon a striker at Calibre, Tommy Lonergan. And then I was watching Pats uh, against Dundalk live on Friday night and scored a couple of really good goals, uh, particularly the lob um, of Nathan Shepard for for his second uh, was well taken. And he had taken a really, in, in the cup, uh, the cup quarterfinal a couple of weeks previously, he scored a really good goal from a tight tight angle as well. And then, of course, there's the uh, Mason Melia penalty at the end on his uh, 16th birthday in stoppage time. And obviously a player with a big, big future there uh, for Pats. Uh, Dundalk, on the other hand, started the game really well and they needed a reaction after what had happened in the cup quarterfinal against Galway United, where they, they went down 4-0, 3-0 down at halftime. And uh, John Daly, the St. Pats manager, and Stephen O'Donnell, the Dundalk boss, were also uh, speaking at the weekend. Obviously delighted to come out with the three points I thought. Um Dundalk first half causes problems. I knew they would. You know, they're they're a good side and I think the the result the weekend against uh, Galway, I knew they'd they'd have a response and they certainly gave that and as I said they caused a few problems. I thought the lads, you know, managed that at times well on the pitch and, and the times that we got through them we, we then lacked that final killer, killer pass at the uh, the last little bit and um delighted for Tommy Lonergan obviously he's had to you know be patient and wait for, for game time and wait for minutes and he's he's obviously come on the weekend there and scored the winner of Finn Harps and, and scored two today. And um, you know, delighted for him. Um, I thought that was a snapshot of our season. Though we dominated the first half, um, should have been going in ahead at the break, and then you know, out of, out of nowhere, then just through very basic mistakes, uh, two direct balls were two nil down. Come second half, got ourselves back into the game, sort of get, getting a foothold, and then we get a man sent off. So we're, we just have this habit of shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, I thought. The middle third of the pitch, from a control point of view, it's all we were very good first half, as I said, and out of nowhere, we're 2 0 down. That's been our Achilles heel, should be ahead in games, then give up really soft goals, and, and that's been a story of our season. 
So that's Stephen O'Donnell there. And before that, it was uh, John Daly. And of course, Pat's six points off the top now. Uh, although with the game in hand, they could pull that back to three. And that game in hand, they're playing against Drada United uh, tonight. And uh, just on Dundalk, actually, something that caught my eye, Jonathan, was... Uh, Jerry Malone's co- column in the Dundalk Democrat. Now, this was before the uh, the game against Pats, but it was in the wake of the uh, the 4-0 defeat to Galway in the Cup. And he wrote, and this is just a small snapshot, or if people want to read the full thing, it's on the uh, Dundalk Democrat website. Uh, the Malays at Oriel can not be allowed to continue. Next season, the Premier Division will be much stronger than the current one. Dundalk must start to strengthen on the pitch now. They must never again leave it until weeks before the start of a season to sign players, and they must sign the right players. They must also sign the good prospects on a professional basis at the academy at, at the academy now on a professional contract, and thus ensure that no other player of elite talent is allowed to leave the club for another one with all the losses that this in tales from this it just feels they're very much um adrift and obviously they're playing um cork city tonight as well a, a club again desperately in need of points but it's just uh it, dundalk season uh, it was a bit mixed and up and down during the during the campaign but that cup defeat really seems to have left a sour taste yeah because i think it's kind of twofold really rough because the cup was of such significance and importance to them um that was their probably only chance of getting into Europe and obviously with the financial rewards that it, it has and then you knock on effects from probably recent years and financially they were probably banking on having European football next year and the, not just the, the from a footballing point of view but obviously financially is, is so so important as well and look there's been changes off the pitch there in the last couple of years as well but that's the footballing point of view but then like in terms of losing the cup annuals but the more the way they lost like the the opening half like it was four at half time four over the night it could have been six or seven it really could have been it was it was so demoralizing and to see I looked over at one stage in the first half I think it might have been three nil and you start to see Dundalk fans leaving not that I blame them but it was just more the significance of it in terms of a proud proud football and club um just getting wiped like that it was I like. It was part of me that watching Stephen O'Donnell afterwards, like I, I couldn't help but feel bad for him on, on a personal point of view because it really was that much of a of just a walloping and you, you knew there was going to be potential knock-on effects, even just short-term from a footballing perspective, it's impossible to try and get things back on track and they needed, like uh, Stephen O'Donnell must be cursed or something like that, to have that game against Pats next next one up when you're like, you want to hand a game, don't you really, just to try and get things back on track. There seems to be no rest for the wicket. And that's a, you know, it's a hammer blow really, isn't it? And there you are in a, in, they're in a sticky patch now in terms of where does it go next? And, you know, you talk about that game with Cork, like, go back not that long ago. That's, this is a top of the table decider. This is the... I've heard people describe it as as the best uh, rivalry that there has been in the leagues in, in recent years in terms of, uh, I suppose, everything that went to it in terms of not quite hatred, but that intense, intense rivalry and the side stories that came with it and the battles that they had over the years. But it, it's just almost sad to see, isn't it, that the two clubs where, where they're at at the moment. But that's that football, it, it, it turns around quickly. And if you don't get everything right on the pitch, um, it will come back and stab you in the backside. But it is... It's uh, going to be a, an off-season of, of huge, huge importance for Dundalk. Now, where do they go from here? Like, you look at even just, you know, signing Horgan, you think this is going to be the big moment that they're going to push on. 
what next is there is there more money in the kitty to try and get everything that they need and like jerry and the and and the likes there will be a lot more informed of than me on us what goes on behind the scenes but it does seem from the outside looking in doesn't it that everything isn't rosy and doesn't seem to be just the first team unfortunately so yeah it's it's a big big transition period for the duck and um, they got to think get, get things right quick i think yeah, I think um, just just yeah. just to add to that, right? Just on the Galway, like you talk about how damaging that was, as as Jonathan says, not just obviously you got knocked out of the cup and and potentially a place in Europe, but if there's one thing that will tip fans over the edge in terms of their team, if their team is you know struggling or plateauing, it's it's getting outfought and and bullied, and it was the nature of that defeat in Galway. They were outfought and bullied spectacularly. Uh, and it was almost like they were they weren't prepared for what was coming, uh, and they should have been. You know, if you're going to to play Galway, managed by John Caulfield and Ollie Horgan, you're you better get ready for a scrap. Uh, and they just they just didn't look ready for it. And that's the thing that I think really would have, you know, angered Dundalk and Stephen O'Donnell. I think that would really have hurt them and and rocked them. Um, there was a bit of a response against St. Passable. You know, they, they lost the game ultimately. And that there is just that sense they're drifting a little bit because they had a, you know they had a good year last year and they got into Europe. Stephen O'Donnell, you know, as a as a young, very highly rated young coach, had won the cup of pass and then come back to Dundalk. Um, but they just drifted this year, and and you know, as Jonathan says, and um, and he's and he's right, you know, Jerry probably references Colin and be be more informed than us in, in terms of what's going on there, but. Uh, it just from the outside, it does look like it's it's just drifted, and and they really need to to get things back on track in the off season, and and um you know probably look at the personnel, the type of players that are coming in, and and try and fix some of the issues that are there at the minute because they're, they're just a little bit too easily beaten Dundalk this year, you know, when things go a little wrong for them, a yeah. bit of softness there. Yeah, uh, which means, of course, uh, tonight's game against Cork City, which is 7.45pm kickoff at Oriel Park, uh, is kind of huge for them in terms of snapping them back into some form, although Cork City are fighting as desperately as possible to try and uh, claw back the gap to Sligo Rovers and also to Drada, who are away at St. Pat's, uh, also 7.45pm kickoff tonight. But uh, the other thing, Anthony, uh, the other game as well, and it's now a battle for fourth place, Bowes and Shells are now separated by a point. Shells have gone above them after beating Cork at the, at the on Friday, last Friday night, 49 points in Bowes just behind now. Uh, of course, there is no place in Europe guaranteed with fourth with the way things are. The cup will obviously have the uh, the effect on that. Bowes are still in the cup. Shells will probably want, will need, looking at how the table is, Pats uh, to go and win it. But that's a nice little rivalry there and that should be a good spicy game tonight. Absolutely. I mean, look, you got to take your hat off to Shelburne. Uh, things things are going well there. You know, off the pitch, there's, there's certain things happening as well in terms of developments they've made and the investment that's come in and, um, they're a real tough nut to crack. You know, they're gonna lose Jack Moylan at the end of the season, which which will be a blow for them. He's he's gone to Lincoln. Yeah, and he scored a good goal, real good composure. I know it was a defensive mistake the, from the Cork defender, but um, he, again, he showed his quality. Yeah, he's he's a good player. He's been a good player for them. But like, I mean, for them to be in this position now, going into the tail end of the season, uh, five five games to go, I think. Um. And, and in with a sniff of, of getting into your office, absolutely brilliant for them. You know, you think like after last year, they, they lost well uh, in, in the cup final. They were well beaten. But, um, you know, rather than shake them, it's kind of galvanised them, which is a really good sign and, and, and a, a sign of um, a strong manager, which Damien Duff is. And 
Um, I think with Shelburne, maybe you could level at them that they are defensive. Um, you know, it's it's the priority is, is to not concede goals first and foremost. And you know, you think, well, can they be, you know, a little like the Ireland women's team we were, we were chatting earlier on? Can they can they marry some creativity to that? Uh, maybe just open up a little bit more and and um get some more goals into the team. But I think they're getting there. I think they're getting there. And actually, like the best way, rather than tactical tweaks or anything like that, I think personnel is the best way to do it. Just getting in a little bit more quality. So um they've got a really interesting climax to this season coming up. And then an even more interesting off season because if they're able to go and get a little slightly better quality caliber player over the course of the winter, you know, they, they really could be a force to be reckoned with next season. And and there's they're they're building they're building something there, you know, and, and you can see Damien Duff what, what a great asset he is to them and um and to the league really, you know, such a such a big name and a, and a big character and he's absolutely invested in it, isn't he? He's completely he's in it. He's he's in one hundred and ten percent. So uh yeah, look they, they have momentum now and uh there's definitely look like a, a club that is going in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Now, a club going in the right direction and confirmed to be going in the right direction, of course, is Galway United, who have uh, been promoted to the Premier Division for next season. They uh, they were well on their way to promotion anyway before they beat Kerry 4-0 on Friday night. And then some of the other results also on the night were Treaty United, uh, 4-1 winners against Athlone, Wexford beating Bray Wanderers 2-1, Waterford, who are second, uh, winning 3-0 at Longford Town, and Cove Ramblers trashing Finn Harps 5-1. But, uh, Jonathan, you were at uh, Mount Hawk Park on uh, on Friday night on commentary as mentioned at the beginning and uh, you know Galway 1-0 up and to be honest they only needed the point uh, to go up and then it just ended up being elation towards the end as they got the, the three goals towards the end and obviously the scenes as well a full time obviously delight for the club after what has been a brilliant season Yeah no it was yeah, probably 4-0 to be fair probably flattered Galway United Kerry had to I think you know, Kerry, it's it's a difficult period for them. You know, the first year in the in the league, um, there's a lot of learnings. Um, I think, I don't think their points tally probably reflects their performances. And for large periods of the, of the game, they were quite a danger. Like it took a couple of big Brendan Clark saves, one in particular just before half time. But I suppose that's probably reflective of the season and what a sign of Brendan Clark has been. Uh, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. And again, it's been referenced a couple of times. But the Dundalk um, victory, like at the start of the game, he makes a wonder save. Had that gone in, it's a whole different story. We're having different conversations about Galway United. We're having different st- different conversations about, about Dundalk. But I guess that is the importance of having a, a strong, experienced netminder. And he's just been phenomenal what he's been since since he's joined. And like he shows absolutely no signs of slowing up and looks as agile as ever, looks as, as solid, as driven as ever. And it's just been, it's one of the key things that John and Ollie have got right this year has been adding a bit more experience to them. Regan Donlan, Colin Horgan in, in particular as well in signings in the off-season. Uh, I think all bar one signing had played in the league before, but they 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 got the squad together. It's a really driven squad. And I guess you look at the league table, 31 games, 25 wins, four draws, two losses, 82 goals for, 16 against. Like those stats are just crazy stuff. And then you have the, the, the other... Little cars of the of the cup semi final. Who knows what might come for that? Even if the season ended now in the morning and the, there was defeat in the cup semi final, it'd be an, an outstanding season to to win it. 
to win it in the style that they have and also I think with the calibre of I have to confess as a fan when I heard that Waterford had got over hadn't got over the line last time out I thought oh god here we go again because Galway United have been a little bit unlucky in terms of the, the calibre of opposition in the first division over the years you know Cork were down uh, uh, shells were down as well Should never, both sides should never have been there uh, really um, but they got things over the line and just it's been a bit of a canter really hasn't it they've just got a lead at the start and just never look back and they've just a different edge to them this season in terms of grinding things out and I think that's something's up on Friday night yeah um, and yeah, 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 and sorry, just for you know, you, you've mentioned the pillars there, Clark and Goal. Obviously, there's been players like Hurley and uh, Walsh um, up front who has um, like he's been well, he's been brilliant for a couple of seasons now in, in that role. But they have real pillars there. They've obviously got John Caulfield who was uh, in charge of what was a very potent Cork City t- uh, side for a while. He's obviously, as he said, Ollie Horgan um, beside him as well. But building into next season now and that challenge of doing the step up and then establish trying to establish themselves in the uh, the Premier Division how optimistic are you that this is just the beginning of you know of some you know of another kind of of a, of a really good chapter um, going forward for 2024 and perhaps beyond that you would certainly hope so um, and that is the key though there is despite the results I know some fans will say go United have played two Premier Division teams in the Cup this year and, and won at 9-1 I don't think that really is a true reflection Cup football is, is slightly different uh, and, and just the way both games went I don't think that's not a true reflection again I have to say I covered the Derry City game in Europe they're the one they lost in penalties and I, again I was taken away and again that is probably a team definitely is a team at the top of the division probably as good as a performance have they put in all year but I was taken back when my God when United had gone oh wow there's a huge step here to be doing this week in week out is, is a big is a big step up um, so I do think look investment will need will be needed it'll have to be done wisely and cleverly no doubt if I know John at all, they're probably already um, that's in the back of the mind, putting plans in place for, for next season. But it is it is important because, look, we've seen teams over the years come up and then come straight back down. You, It is a big step up. If you don't make, I think, that investment in terms of your football and squad, you, you will get caught out. The Premier Division is just too much of a beast now. But it, look, there is like, you, you know, you, you talk about the spine of the team there, like David Hurley, 24 goals from midfield. He's been crazy, unbelievably good. Stephen Walsh, the players think describe him as Mr. Galway United. What a story that is. Like he was he'd left the league, gone black playing, you know, local football here, came back, was primarily a left back, was in that sort of position then when Alex Murphy was coming through and uh, took his spot there at left back. Uh and then it was a Waterford game last season, came on up front back to his days where he would have started off as a striker. Uh, Goey come back drew that drew that game. He was phenomenal and has been just an absolutely warrior up top. Wazim has come in as well. Still can't figure out how Waterford let him go, but he's been a huge addition. And the two of them have the two of them are so big and strong. They make an absolute nuisance of themselves. Dundalk found out the, the wrong way, but so have many other teams. But again, that defense has been rock solid. Only conceding sixteen goals in the league. The likes of you know Killing Bruder, Rob Slevin has come in. Morris Newton has been solid. There has been strength and depth there and of course Conor McCormick just 90 games for United becomes the sixth men's captain to, to lift a trophy he's just been a phenomenal and that was a huge gamble he took coming down leaving Derry but that was the trust I suppose he had in John and the project and the, it's 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 the fairy the bright lights of the, the Premier Division to come but you know it's special times at the moment but the important thing is as we've seen the lesson of many other clubs, it's just getting that next step through. And uh, in football, as we've seen, we talked about Dundalk and, and Cork there when they were going for titles. If you 
kind of step still uh, at all at all you're going to get caught so it's all about progression now coming on but special times indeed yeah, yeah, and obviously it'll be a celebratory atmosphere tonight. Now they're in uh, action against uh, Finn Harps at home um, with the, with their game in hand, of course. And uh, Finn Harps also, there has changed there. Dave Rogers stepping away from uh, the role as manager due to personal family reasons. The other game tonight as well, it's Wexford hosting Longford Town. And uh, yeah, obviously from a Galway United perspective, uh, they'll be delighted to see themselves 79 points at the moment and uh, well clear and obviously uh, promoted uh, to the... Uh, to the uh, to the top division, but uh, before we go, a uh, couple of things to just to discuss elsewhere. So, uh, you know, Anthony, just looking at the results across the water, and not so much in the Premier League, but in the the Championship, and then also in the Netherlands, just Irish strikers were getting on the on the score sheet, which was uh, good to see. So Troy Paris with uh, an excellent first goal for Excelsior, where he's on loan, and this was against here in Veen, Adam Ida with a brace uh, for Norwich City but unfortunately for Norwich <laughs> it was uh, a brace in a 6-2 defeat to Plymouth so then there's Aaron Connolly who has been really good this season and uh, scored again and then created another as well for uh, Hull City against Stoke and then can't forget as well Will Keane has been having a decent start to the season for Preston so um, the weekend showed the potential that is there obviously um, you know we've seen them in international action and sometimes we haven't seen a lot of those players at their best but uh, it, at least it was a good weekend for them. Yeah, uh, I, I think the, the most interesting one there is Aaron Connolly um, because, you know, he was, you look at where Evan Ferguson is now and, and the huge hype around Evan and, and hopes that we have and he's clearly a fantastic player. Um, but Aaron Connolly was in that position when he, when he came through at Brighton and he scored those two goals against Spurs. And very quickly became a player where, you know, Irish fans were sort of looking at him going, well, he's the key. We have to have, like, he missed out on the playoff. He was very unfortunate uh, to miss out on that the playoff game in, in the very early days of Stephen Kenny's reign because of um, a, a close contact, COVID contact on the plane over. Um, Adamita, I think, missed as well, actually. And... His career just just wobbled, you know. He just wobbled, and and the way it is at the top level, it is so unbelievably competitive that if you just shake or wobble a little bit, you can suddenly find yourself. You know, it's like being in a race, and and you trip, or or there's a pebble in your shoe, and you look up, and suddenly you're you're two hundred meters behind everybody else, and 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 Conley just. It, it just seemed to happen when him where he, he had a couple of lot he went to Luton I think on, on Lowell then he went to Middlesbrough then he went to Italy Venezia and um, at that point to be honest with you Raph I was kind of looking at him going where, where is this career going now like he just seemed to be in a bit of a tailspin he, he fell off the radar uh, with the Republic of Ireland he missed out on a couple of squads he had some niggly injuries and despite all of that this is a he's a really talented player and he still has time on his side and I think it's a great uh, it's it's a real important thing for Ireland that he's now doing well at club level because he's happy at Hull you know he's still I think he's 23 now okay he's probably he would probably say himself he's made some mistakes and and again you know because things are so it, it's so competitive at the top level that if you lose your concentration or you take your earth ball at any point in your career, like it, it's, it can be so detrimental. You can't, you just can't do it at that level. You, you know, it's, it, and there's always someone else coming up the rails. I mean, straight away, Evan, Evan Ferguson is now the great hope in Irish football. 
But, you know, Aaron is still only 23 and he's playing very well. And he's in a team that he's happy. He's appreciated. He's playing in the championship, which is a really good level. You score goals in the championship. You know, if you're, if you're able to, to regularly score goals in the championship, you are capable of scoring goals at international level. No doubt about it. You're not going to be playing France and Holland every week at international level. You know, you, you will be playing, you know, Ireland's next couple of games, they have Greece, they have Gibraltar, and they have New Zealand and a friendly. Aaron Connolly is capable of scoring against those teams. So I, I think that's a really, really important boost for Ireland. If he's happy and he's playing well and he's scoring goals, um, he can be a big player for Ireland. And whether that's even, you know, pairing Evan Ferguson up front or playing maybe one of the wider offensive positions, he's an asset. Uh, and it's really good to see that. It's good to see, obviously, Troy Parrott doing well in Holland. That's a move that years ago, David Connolly made that move and, and scored bags of goals. And, and that was a benefit. He took that to, into into uh, the international side as well. So, you know, it's, it's always good to see Irish players do well and score goals, obviously. Um, we can't have enough of that. But I, I think Connolly is, is the most interesting one. He's the one, I think, that has the tools to take that form into the international stage and the way he's going now like he will be in the squad you know the next squad he has to be if he keeps doing what he's doing um and he'd be knocking on the door to start and and you know you'd like to see that you'd like to see him get a, sh- a chance and see can he can he get, back, get things back on track because he, des- he deserves credit he did wobble but i always just think a player like it's so easy to properly tailspin when you like you had the explosion that he had at the start that white hot explosion in the premier league we are like the, the next big thing. Now, when that fades, it's not easy to get yourself back on the horse. And and he's he looks like he's he's starting to do that now. And um, you know, he deserves credit for that, but hopefully he can maintain it uh, and and you know uh maintain that form consistently and, and we'll see where it takes him. Yeah, and Jonathan, I'll get your take on Conley actually just as a as a fellow Galway man. I'm sure you you have been watching him closely. But just uh Chidozi Ogbene also made his uh first start for Luton at the weekend as well, seemed to perform quite well. In fact, Will McGee and the Guardian um wrote even before they were reduced to 10 men, Wolves struggled to contain his momentum down the left, and he combined time again with Alfie Doughty to create a string of chances, having drawn some of the loudest cheers of the afternoon only being denied an assist by an excellent save from Jose Sa uh, to keep out Carlton Morris. Ogbeni's standout showing did not go unnoticed in the dugout. And uh, Jonathan, just uh, again, uh, just on um, Aaron Connolly, but also um, I was going to ask you, just I know you keep a very close eye on things uh, Liverpool related, and I was watching Cuevin Kelleher in the uh, Europa League um, match in Austria uh, when they were playing there last week. And again, he there is that, whole dilemma that was discussed over the the summer in terms of his future should he go or um and ultimately he didn't but uh yeah first uh just on Connolly and then just your thoughts on Kelleher as well and I suppose where he's at this season with the the opportunity of games at least in the Europa League yeah I think it's probably going to repeat mostly what Anthony says there and Connolly it is the huge assets that we desperately need um you can so see him one on one of the wide positions outright or something like that perhaps uh, with Ferguson up top and that he has that abundance of, of raw pace and that little bit of a, an X factor if you want to call it. it aside from our I suppose selfish desires if you want to call it that in terms of having an Ireland it's a huge moment for his career as well um, obviously he is where he is right now it's a one year deal at Hull um, you know he needs this season to go well he needs that longer, de- that longer deal to, to come in to give him that bit of stability and security from, from his own personal point of view 
But like, I don't think he could do much more. Is I think it's five and eight now. Is it for him this season? Seems to have a manager there that he can um has a a good working relationship with. It's 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 funny. Like, listen to them like talking and they're like oh no he he shouts me off regularly and I shout him off it's a funny dynamic you don't normally we're so used to aren't we the old school principle sort of mentality in football management and only speak when you talk to I guess that is the modern footballer if you if you want to call it that I think it's interesting to hear that dynamic and he's obviously flown and he's he's oozing in confidence in that so it's, it's a big big moment and I think it is it is it is great to see him back on track and long may that continue Obeni as well, Obeni as well. That is huge. If he can get a run of games there again, you talk about that raw pace, then particularly the way we like to set up, I think that's huge. Keller, oh, I don't know how many of these conversations can we have really on him. He's going to play limited football again. Like the reality is, Allison is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and he's not moving. He saw the first save that he made earlier on at the game at the game yesterday. Like, there's just no way you're getting ahead of him barring a freak injury or suspension and that's short term so and you'd nearly say like you know if yeah if Alison gets injured or if we're looking at signing a replacement you know that 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 sort of ways and I, I just I just don't see how it progresses for him at Liverpool is he fair enough he's probably happy to be there in the the not the limelight that's the wrong word but you know to be at a, a huge club like that and everything that's involved and maybe this club keeps talking about Liverpool two two dot zero and maybe there there is a bit of successor, uh, definitely an upturn in form and the excitement that that gives. But I know and I know the other thing is keepers. You'll always say they develop a bit later in, in their careers, but surely there has to be a point where he wants to get the itch of playing football week in week out. And are we going to see the best of him if before before that? Can you? Yes, you can train with Alisson all day, all week long as once, but are you really going to get into the swing of things without playing football week in, week out? We've seen Bazunu play a full season in the Premier League and had to learn by the old school of Knox. Does Keller need something similar? It's a really tricky one, isn't it? We've, I don't know how many times, Raph, we're, we're going to talk about this until and the move happens, but you would have to imagine that the move is getting closer now, really. I think he really needs first-team football, I would have thought. Like, obviously, there's the, the all Liverpool supporters grew up and of, of our age group, there was all those Irish player people uh, in the squads. Uh, that was the, the connection that many people had with the club. It's a little bit different now with the backup goalkeeper, but, yeah, you'd have to imagine at some stage, from his point of view, he just needs to be playing week in, week out and get smashed, in a, you know, going for a ball, you know, more regularly and just get that muscle memory in it. I don't think there's... Is he going to get ahead of Bazuna without playing first-team football is probably the best way to leave it on. Yeah, I think that's going to be a debate that's going to rumble on as long as he's uh, he's at Liverpool and remaining as number two. But anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, remember, you can watch Ireland in Hungary in the Women's Nations League live on Tuesday at 6pm on RT2 and RT Player and also live on an extended game on commentary with Adrian Eames and Marie Curtin and uh, also Shamrock Rovers against Shelburne on RT2 and the RT Player on Friday night. But Anthony and Jonathan, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Raf. Cheers, Raf. 